Welcome back to the Tangent Talk, and we are so excited to be back in the studio. We have been on a bit of a hiatus, lots going on in our lives, but we cannot begin to tell you how excited we all are to be back in our virtual studio. And today's episode is a special episode, one that is very important to us. We're discussing microaggressions. We're going to start off the show with a definition read by our very own Helbra, and we hope you get something for yourself out of this conversation. We hope that the conversation that we, the Tangent Talk cast, will have will spark conversations in your own networks, and we definitely thank you for joining another fantastic Tangent Talk show. Shout out to tee off who could not join us today. I'm in the studio with the boys. That's right. Luna Ma speaking and I'm in the studio today with Helbra, Ildris Helbra, and of course Darquan. So come on in, join us, get cozy and get ready for another great episode. So fellas, talk to me. How many of you are celebrating Juneteenth? I mean, this is an African-American cast. Of course, we are also Caribbean-American. What is it about Juneteenth that is of particular interest to you? And uh, how are you celebrating it? I have not. I'm, I'm kind of feeling some type of way about the whole federal holiday thing. Should have been national, if anything. And I feel like it's good posturing on the part of the government, but not even close to being enough. So it's kind of like saying, we're going to allow you to celebrate us pulling the knife out of your back. So that's how I feel about Juneteenth. I understand what it represents, but given the recent events of passing Asian hate crime bills after one year of violence, overt, I should say, violence against Asians here in this country, you know, and we've been here for hundreds of years of overt violence against us, and we still cannot get any protection from the government. This cursory action of um, making Juneteenth a federal holiday, not even a national holiday, is like a slap in the face. So that's my feeling on that. Yeah, to second that, I'm glad you said that, Dark One, because I really haven't been sure about how I felt about the making it a federal holiday. Uh, on a personal note, I was actually locked in to be a part of a team of healthcare workers at a rec center sponsored event for Juneteenth yesterday. I was gonna be a part of the uh, team that were testing people for COVID. Unfortunately, uh, those of us that live in Atlanta, we saw how badly it rained yesterday and that entire event was canceled. So it was a little bit of a bummer, but um, I definitely acknowledge it somehow every year. Thank you for that, Helper. I'm glad that you acknowledge it every year. I'm thankful for uh, Darquan's uh, passionate thoughts as well about Juneteenth. It's a, it's a discussion worthy of an episode in and of itself. But today's episode, we're definitely talking about microaggressions. And before you um, read the quote by uh, Dr. Uh, Daryl Wing Sue Helper, I want to share with the audience uh, a little bit more about who Dr. Sue is. And so he was born here in the United States of America in Portland, Oregon. However, he's the son of immigrant parents, parents who immigrated from China. 
And as you'll read from the American Psychological Association website, we'll post it, of course, to our website, thetangenttalk.com. It goes on to state here that his early childhood memories of being teased due to his ethnicity led to his fascination with human behavior. His deep interest and passion led him to become one of the most prominent voices in cross-cultural studies. He has over 150 publications under his belt, and he is the most cited multicultural scholar today. So that, our friends, is who, uh, just a little peek into who Mr. Uh, Dr. Daryl Wing Sue is. And Helbra, why don't you go ahead and uh, read for us the definition of microaggressions as noted by Dr. Sue. Helbra? Microaggressions are defined as everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults whether intentional or unintentional, which communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. Microaggressions may be based on socioeconomic status, disability, gender, gender expression, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, nationality, or religion. Kind of like giving us a Juneteenth holiday while systematically removing critical race theory from all education across the country. Because my thing is, I think the government is well aware of how potent systemic racism is on us as a community within the country. And so, and I think they also know that giving us a holiday really doesn't impact that, especially a federal one, not even a national holiday. You're not even forcing everyone to acknowledge it. So I think it's a governmental microaggression towards us. It is, it is them saying that we are not really concerned about your liberation. This is not really supporting it in any way. I mean, or in the most cursory of, of ways, let's say. It acknowledges it, but at the same time, there are so many other things going on in the country that are far more pressing when it comes to our true liberation and, and equality in the country. So... I think it's a very microaggressive act, and it is a snub. It's, it was the snub that really got me. So, you know, Darquan, you talk about the governmental microaggressions, right? What we're going to do at this moment is actually delve into some of the microaggressions that we're seeing within the educational system. And so... Further along in this description of microaggressions in this article written by uh, Dr. Sue, he talks about insults or insensitivities that may be exhibited by students or adults within the school community. So my question to you, Dark One and Helbra, as I read through some of these examples, I want you to just tell me if any of these are examples that you can relate to. I'm going to get through about, this is about a list of 20 or 30. I'm going to get through about 10 of them. You make a note to yourself on which ones are applicable, and then let's unpack that. And you, our faithful listeners, I want you to follow along with us in this interactive exercise. Now, we can't hear you, can't hear your thoughts, but you definitely can send us your opinions, thetangenttalk.com. Please feel free to send your opinions on which of these examples really triggered you. So here we go. Here are 10. I'll read out. The first is 
failing to learn to pronounce or continuing to mispronounce the names of students after they have corrected you? Is this a microaggression, Dark Warner Helbra, that you have experienced as a school-aged young adult? Here's another one. Your teachers schedule tests and project due dates on religious or cultural holidays. Here's another one. Your teachers may call on engaging and validating one gender, class, or race of students while ignoring other students during class. Here's a fourth one. Anticipating students' emotional responses based on gender, sexual orientation, race, or ethnicity. Fifth one, using the term illegals to reference undocumented students. Sixth one, using sexist language. Seventh, assuming the gender of any student. Eighth, assuming that students of particular ethnicities must speak another language or must not speak English. Nine, forcing students with obvious disabilities to out themselves or discuss them publicly. And 10, having students engage in required reading where the protagonists are always white. Darquan and Helbra, in any of those examples, which really triggered you or which ones have you had experiences with? I'll go with number one. So every start of the school year in elementary school, you know, you both know my real name. Every first day of class, my teachers would mispronounce my name. And I think it's pretty phonetic and straightforward, but uh, yeah, that would happen quite often. And it would take sometimes weeks of me correcting them to get them to say it correctly. And I've seen lots of other students uh, have the same thing, especially students from different countries, South Asian students, particularly lots of teachers seem to have a challenging time with their names. So yeah, I've seen that quite often. And I, and that's one of the reasons why I've in corporate America um, and just in my life in general, I've always been very careful about pronouncing people's names. It's just an initial statement of respect. Indeed. What about you, Helpra? Yeah, same, same. Definitely the name um, is pronunciation. Like Darquan said, um, anybody listening to this who knows my real name knows it is of Swahili descent. And um, I'm always to this day used to uh, people mispronouncing it, which is not offensive to me. But I feel like after I correct you, then, yeah, that's that's when it becomes an issue. Um, also, one that stood out to me was uh, the one about ignoring one gender in certain subjects or topics. I feel that happens often, especially it's overlooked. But in gym, I remember in gym, it's kind of like <laughs> the coaches were always more engaged with the boys and the girls just kind of sat around. And for all those coaches knew there were girls that were probably just as interested or were just as talented in different, you know, games and sports, but those interests were never cultivated because they were ignored. So that also came to mind as well. Yeah, I, I'm also thinking about assuming the gender of students. I think that has changed since I was in school. When I was in elementary school or pre-college, that wasn't a challenge for a teacher. Uh, um, however, nowadays, I can't see how any teacher can do that 
without like that's got to be an extremely challenging thing for teachers nowadays with mm. people identifying in different ways than what used to be more straightforward for them. God, I thought about that too. I would totally agree with that. I, it is something that I'm sure I certainly I hope our educators are having education around. Right. We talked earlier about the insensitivity. And so we wouldn't want our educators being insensitive to students who believe in, in gender fluidity. I think for me, the one that stood out, gentlemen, is the last having students engage in required reading where the protagonists are always white. You know, over the last, I would say, 14, 15 months, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, we've been seeing more of a certainly passionate outcry for many of us uh, in the Black and Brown communities for representation. And I think back to some of the the literature that I read, nothing to say that the literature wasn't uh, important or value creating, but there weren't any, in my view, books in, in our reading lists for my junior or high school curriculum that really featured black and brown protagonists. I think the closest we got to that was Don Quixote. <laughs> I mean, am I, am I off base here? Or, are you all uh, remembering any books that focused on black and brown protagonists? I, I had one in 12 years of education. We had the, the Raisin in the Sun. That is the one book I remember that had people of color as protagonists in it. But yeah, our general education is definitely void of non-white ethnic influences. It's important as we examine what microaggressions, the impact, I should say, of microaggressions is, not only you all in the school communities, but certainly, and I'm sure many of you know where I'm going with this next, certainly when it comes to our justice system. And we talk now, or we're going to talk now a little bit more about an article that was written by Sandra Graham and Brian S. Lowry. The title is Priming Unconscious Racial Stereotypes About a adolescent offenders. You all who are fans of the Tangent Talk, you will remember that during our episode on Spare the Rod, I, Luna Ma, <laughs> was very much a proponent of you know, young adults being able to express themselves, especially when it comes to expressing themselves uh, relative to police brutality. And you'll recall that the other cast members, T Off and Dark One and Helbra, said, you know, that could get you could get you arrested or worse, killed. And so let's take a, a look at this study. And so in the abstract for this article that Sandra Graham and Brian Lowry co-authored, it talks about two studies that examine the unconscious racial stereotypes of decision makers in the juvenile justice system. In the first experiment, we focused on police officers. The second was juvenile probation officers. And they were subliminally exposed to words related to the category Black or towards neutral with respect to race. Okay. And really what we discovered in, in, in reading this article is that as hypothesized, officers in the, in the racial prime condition reported more negative trait ratings, greater culpability, and expected recidivism 
and they endorsed harsher punishment than did officers in the neutral condition. So we talked earlier about the classroom, but I'm sure Helbra and, and Dark One, we could also draw the correlation to the court system, right? And so what, if anything, shows up for you all in reviewing this particular uh, abstract, if you will, on priming unconscious racial stereotypes relative to adolescent offenders? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I feel when it comes to how adolescents are treated, I think, you know, those that are of color, especially Black, they're treated much harsher. They're held accountable in ways that their counterparts of other races aren't. So I can, I'll start there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the way I think about it is how do you raise your kids versus how you would parent other people's children? And that's just a light way of saying it. But I do think that our children are not considered to be the same as their children. Yeah, and it's a different sort of treatment. It's a different severity of punishment and different analysis of what the root causes are and the ways to address those root causes, too. So whether that be putting people on medication or putting people through harsher punishments beyond locking them up, more community service, whatever it might be, I think they're treated that way because they're not seen in the same way as they see their children. Yeah, and so that that bias is the foundation that they start to think about rehabilitating our adolescents. Agreed. And I'm glad that you talked about implicit bias. There is an article on our website, thetangenttalk.com, under this particular episode. We hope that you all go out and um, take a look at the reference material for this episode. And we encourage you, if you have reference material that you want to share, please do on this very important topic. But we just heard Darquan talk about implicit bias. And so there is an article on our website that actually does a pretty could dive into, again, the look at implicit bias and microaggressions. This article was written by Mr. Todd Finley, March 25th, 2019. So a little over two years ago, still very much relevant. He says, you know, like everyone else, I possess unconscious biases about people that are contingent upon how they talk and how they look. Well, such instant judgments are called implicit bias. And they involve, as he quotes uh, Sandra Graham, going back to the article that we talked about earlier, they involve, quote, automatically categorizing people according to cultural stereotypes. The article goes on to say the consequences of implicit bias in schools are both powerful and measurable. For example, math teachers perceive their classes to be too difficult for Latino and Black students, and English teachers perceive their classes to be too difficult for non-white students. What are you guys hearing in that? Have you been impacted by those measurable and powerful implicit bias in schools? I think so. Yeah, I think. But yeah, I think that they're early on, at least when we were in like the foundational classes, I had an accent when I came to this country. So, yeah, I think my teachers definitely treated me a little different until I showed my acumen and then they realized that I was actually a good student. But if you have an accent, there is automatically a feeling of 
you're not from this country, you don't really understand things as well as everyone else. And I definitely think that teachers are just like everyone else, as you said. We all have implicit biases based upon our socialization and our programming as we're growing up. So I think when you are educated and programmed in areas where it's not multicultural, you look at everyone else with a, a bit of a skewed perspective. And teachers are guilty of that. Many teachers, I should say. Yeah, to add on to that, it's it's interesting for me because I grew up in predominantly Black neighborhood and, and my schools were always predominantly Black. But there was definitely tracking and there was definitely in comparison to other Atlanta schools that had more diverse student population, definitely a different Novels were assigned, definitely different coursework, different extracurricular activities, different languages taught. So that's what that's what comes to mind on this. And I believe, obviously, it's the cause of that is just, you know, demographics. Yeah. And as I think, too, I have seen some experiences where educated black teachers also had those same stereotypes, which is really painful to observe where they believe that they have become so educated now that they can look down upon the less educated, as opposed to doing their jobs with even more fervor to educate the less educated, uh, instead of ostracizing them for how they speak. That's interesting. I never, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point, uh, Dark Juan. And, you know, we started out this episode really discussing some key examples, right, in the classrooms. And I think what you just brought up is a very interesting point because prejudices doesn't necessarily have to be from the, quote, non-marginalized group to the marginalized group. What you're describing is within the marginalized group, there can be prejudices. So I, I want to go back to Mr. or excuse me, doctor, let me get it straight, Dr. Daryl Wing Su, and he is the author of the article where we threw out 10 examples. There are many more. Again, we invite you to check out the article in its entirety on our website. Dr. Daryl Wingsu is a professor at Columbia University, and he goes on to talk about prejudices that leak out, quote, prejudices that leak out in many interpersonal situations and decision points. That is his definition of the impact when it comes to implicit bias and microaggressions. Again, prejudices that leak out in many interpersonal situations and decision points. And I think Darquan just spoke to those interpersonal situations where within the same mar marginalized group, there's that sense of superiority for those who may have gone on to secure great education, great jobs, knowing that there are others who are undereducated and underemployed, and there's not a sense of, well, let me, let me support you because someone was able to support me in getting to where I am in life. So I think that's a very important point you bring up, Dark Juan. And then there's also decision points, right? We talked about the decision points in the courtroom setting, the decision that could be made between a child spending X number of years in juvenile detention versus maybe doing community service and not having that uh, on his or her record. So, you know, when we talk about decision points, it comes down to, well, who has the, the power to make certain decisions? So what I want to do 
at this point is to go back as we look to wrap up this episode, which I know since we're missing T off today, when she returns, we will have to take a look at a part two. There's so much more to unpack. We just wanted to kind of allow you all to dip your toe in the swimming pool here, but there's so much more that we can immerse ourselves in when it comes to this topic. I want to talk a little bit about some of the examples of things that we can avoid saying and things that are statements that really unnerve people in the black and brown community. So I'm going to start with the statements <laughs> and then let's wrap up with solutions or things that we can avoid. So for those of you here with us in the virtual studio, let's go to microaggression statements. You don't sound like a black person. How many of you have heard that? All the time. <laughs> are, are yeah. Predominantly coming from Black people. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hearing that my whole life. It's, yeah, because, and what it equates to is, or at least how it's always come off for me, is that we're supposed to speak like we're uneducated or always speak in slang or something. So that is just, yeah, that is probably on the, one of the ones on the top of the list for me. Understood. Understood. What about, so, um, like, what are you? Yeah, I've, I've heard that one too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for myself, uh, those of you who know me uh, in real life, you know, my complexion is kind of speaks for itself. So I, I don't get that, but I definitely um, have seen that and continue to see that, especially for me, more so with women. Women asking each other, women in the Black and Brown community asking each other that. Yeah, I would agree. And speaking of statements towards women, there are two two other statements here that are definitely microaggression statements that are directed towards women, right? So one is, you're really cute for a brown-skinned girl. And there are so many controversial social media posts around athletes who, while they think they may be paying a, a brown-skinned woman or a woman of darker complexion a compliment, having to put for a is in and of itself just completely disrespectful. And it is a microaggressive statement. So mm-hmm. tee off is not here to weigh in, but if we pick up a part two on this episode, which I'm sure we will, you know, I, I would love for her to weigh in on her uh, commentary as she has shared on this uh, podcast before around compliments that are riddled with some form of prejudice, right? So you are really cute for a brown girl is one that really grinds my gears. And then you're smart for a girl. So mm-hmm. are, are girls just supposed to be made of sugar and spice and no, no intellect, <laughs> you know? And so those are the microaggression statements. So let's move into solutions because we know that we have a very diverse audience and you may be able to relate to the microaggression statements. You may be someone who without malice has actually uttered one of those or many of those microaggression statements. Let's look now to what we can avoid saying. And these are I thought were really, really good because these are very commonplace. Again, this article was just written a little over two years ago by Mr. Todd Finley. And so who knows, we may get fortunate enough to invite Mr. Finley on part two of this episode, but let's look at solutions and then we're going to go into our round robin. So where are you from? Avoid saying that, right? Because the message here is you're not American. Where are you from? 
there's nothing more embarrassing than when I observe someone asking, and it's usually someone who is in the non-marginalized community asking someone who is, where are you from? And the person says, oh, I was, I was, you know, born in Utah. <laughs> and it's like in your face, buddy, you know, the, where are you from? Because they may not air quotes, look American doesn't necessarily mean they weren't born on the soil. Avoid that. Another one to avoid, you're so articulate. The message there is your group isn't usually as intelligent as whites. I can't begin to tell you how much that one grinds my gears, especially when it's delivered as if the intention is complimentary. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. There's no compliment about that. The last two, and then we'll go into our wrap up. I'm not racist. I have several black friends. The message there is I'm immune to racism because I have friends of color. That would be no different from me saying, I know everything that men have gone through and what they suffer from because I have a brother. No, <laughs> I can't possibly know everything, right? And so the final thing that we want or statement, question we want to avoid is saying to an Asian person, speak up more. You're so quiet. The message there is assimilate to the dominant culture. So again, just really great insight on things that we may not consider as implicit bias examples or microaggression statement examples, but indeed they are. And this article actually goes into what we'll probably delve into for the next episode, things like micro-assault and micro-insult and micro-invalidation. What are those? Well, micro-insult are verbal or nonverbal attack made to hurt the intended victim through name calling, okay? Or purposeful discriminatory actions. An example would be a student wearing a Confederate flag clothing, micro-assault. What's a micro-insult? Well, it is an insensitive communication that demeans someone's racial identity, signaling to people of color that their contributions aren't important. So an example would be a teacher corrects the grammar only of Hispanic children. And finally, micro-invalidation involves negating or ignoring the psychological thoughts, feelings, or experimental reality of a person of color. And this one, I think, in recent times, many of us can agree is rampant, right? An example would be an Asian American student from the U.S. is asked where she was born, which conveys the message that she's not really American, or Here's one for you. Someone's saying, and I heard it today, <laughs> why do you all have to celebrate Juneteenth? Can't you just wait till 4th of July? It totally invalidates the psychological thoughts, feelings, or experiential reality of a person of color. So those are topics that we will delve into later. But in the interest of time, as we wrap up this wonderful episode, I would love for Helbra to start off with what he's taking away from today's conversation. We'll go to you next, Dark One, and we'll uh, we'll wrap with my comments and we'll we'll end the show here. I don't even want to end you all because it's been such a long time. We're just happy to be back in the studio. But all good things must come to an end, as is this episode. So let's hear from you, Helpra. What are you taking away from the show? Wow, thanks. The biggest takeaway is, I guess, growing up, a lot of these things that we just talked about, I really got so used to it that I thought of it as normal to a degree. But um, now that we're discussing it, I feel like I'm learning it's it's really wrong. And it's a lot of things that we as a society need to correct. I'm just trying to figure out how we would go about that. So, 
Well, as you know, Helbra, it's not about having all the right answers. It's just you got to have the right questions. Shout out to Lorenz Tate. Holler at you, girl. We'd love to have you on the show. All right, let's move now to the one and only Dark Juan. What are you taking away from this episode, Dark Juan? And or what would you like to leave the audience with? Well, you know, as I'm kind of thinking about it in summary, you know, the times they are a changing. And I think there was a time where what we considered now to be microaggression was just normal conversation. I think as the world changes, we have to learn to do the most important part of communication in a more detailed and granular way. And that's the listening part. Because nowadays you really have to listen to hear the microaggression because what people used to be comfortable saying, they know they're now realizing they can no longer say at work or at school or in general culture. They have learned to slip their aggression in in these micro fashions. And so we have to learn to listen on the primary, secondary, and tertiary level to really hear what is being communicated. You know, I think, you know, you listen to the words they say, then you have to think about the underlying meaning of what is said and then why it is said. So you can't just listen to people verbatim anymore because half the time there is some hidden meaning in what anyone is saying, not just about aggression, but just in conversation in general, because everyone has to be so, or is trying at least, well, at least everyone that's aware, at least, is trying to be politically correct, but they often mask their real selves behind the words they say. For instance, I have a person at work, to not give away her identity, who I work with, who is a leader. And whenever she sees me, she says, hey, man, but she's not in the marginalized, any marginalized group. But she says, hey, man, and she doesn't refer to other people in the non-marginalized group as man. So she's trying to make an effort to kind of associate, but it really tells me volumes about her level of comfort with people of color. Yeah, so we just have to listen really carefully to how people talk to us nowadays to really hear what's going on. What's going on? And I got to sing that because in tribute of Father's Day, we all know that Dark Juan's father had an uncanny resemblance to the late Marvin Gaye. And so what's going on is, is right, Dark Juan. What's going on with what's being said? And I really like what you talked about. What's the subtext? What's in the onset, right, of what people are saying? So my takeaway and what I'm left with after today's episode is, one, I'm just happy to be back with the team. And we look forward to bringing you all uh, season seven very soon. And two, I'm left with, we've got to be mindful that these microaggression examples that are happening in the classroom are dangerous. Why? If I can't go to school as a young person and learn my science, my math, my arts, without feeling that I am not as, I'm not treated equally with my peers, then I then go out into the workforce and it's compounded. So what worries me and why I am so happy that the work Dr. Sue provided for the basis for our discussion today is happening and continues to happen is that the educational system is no different, in my opinion. It's a microcosm of the larger world. And so when a teacher is speaking to a student in a way that has these microaggression undertones, my fear and concern is we often see that same child grow up, end up in a workplace where he or she is again 
marginalized. So, you know, I'm passionate about the children. I don't have any of my own, neither do Helbra and uh, Dark One. They, they told me I didn't have to wish them happy Father's Day today yet. But we are passionate about the children here at the Tangent Talk, and we want to make sure that children are treated fairly by their peers and certainly by the school administrators. So this is a very important discussion. We hope that you got a few nuggets that you can take back to your communities and your network circles so that we can continue this conversation. I truly believe that the solution uh, Helbra uh, suggested that he could not come up with on this episode. I believe that solution exists in being in the inquiry of this conversation so that we continue to further the truth about the impact of implicit bias and microaggression. So we thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate you all's patience as we dusted off the mics and, and really got back comfortable in our seats. We'll be back with episode, excuse me, season seven, episode one very soon. Our own uh, T-Off will be back with us. We thank you so very much. We hope that you had a fantastic Father's Day weekend, Juneteenth celebration, continue being who you are and continue being the fans of thetangenttalk.com. We love you. Take good care. Bye-bye now. Bye.